Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello, dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying, Hi, how are you? From Manila. Welcome to She Talks Peace and my co-host. Hi, I'm Dina from Iman Research Malaysia. Again, thank you for listening to She Talks Peace. Hi, Dina. Earlier, before the taping started, we were talking about food, right? Yes. (laughs) And I remember... Uh, because it's been such a long time since uh, you and I have traveled in uh, yeah. Southeast Asia or anywhere outside the house. But I remember I was in Patani in Southern Thailand. This was, this was maybe 20 years ago. And they, they, served, uh, they served us um, this crispy fried vegetable dish with tiny, tiny dried baby shrimps and it had um i think it had uh, sprouted mung beans and the the tiny shrimps were so good i had a friend buy a kilo from the market (laughs) and i put it in my suitcase and i brought it home to to manila so oh my god so you know Yeah, we were talking. We were talking about about uh, food yeah. and how um, right. food from Southern Philippines is similar to food from Malaysia and, and uh, yeah. Indonesia and Southern Thailand. And I remember those those tiny baby shrimps. They were really so good. Of course, my clothes and my suitcase smelled like tiny shrimps yeah. for a long time, yeah. but I don't mind because because it was it was really so good. So you know. Being on lockdown yeah. makes me remember the taste of uh, Southeast Asia, the taste oh, of Southern yeah. Thailand and Bangkok oh, and yeah. Kuala Lumpur yeah. and Sati and all yeah. that. How about you, Dina? How are you doing? 
hungry. I've not had lunch yet. Oh but, dear. Uh, yeah, I think what you mentioned is fried kailan. It sounds like fried kailan. Um, but yeah, I've had that dish. It's quite common in the tom yum shops in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, we've got another year of this COVID. I think. So I guess we'll have to fantasize about food. Then. <laughs> I mean, I think we each other again. Yes, I want to go to the Padang. I want to eat Padang yeah. food again, Dina. Uh, yeah, yeah. You have you know? to you have to bring me to some of those uh, oh, yes. to some of those places. Down, yes, yeah. You know, you were you were saying yeah. sometime before how during this lockdown we have to practice self care. Yes, because, uh, our world is going crazy after almost two years of uh, lockdown. I, I tried Pilates. What about you? What do you do? Me, I do a combination of, it's kind of like Pilates and also HIIT, you know, higher intensity interval training. Mm. Uh, it's all on, you know, all online. I mean, that's not much. I mean, I go for walks, but that's about it. I mean, uh, really, you know. Well, the other thing, of course, that uh, we do is, of course, binge on Netflix and I I actually binge on uh, YouTube newscasts. I like listening to YouTube newscasts about what's going on in the United States because a lot of the time it makes me feel better about the way we are in (laughs) in Southeast Asia. Americans are going to like this if they hear this. Listening yeah. to what's happening with Trump and Trumpism and insurrectionists makes me feel a little better about uh, oh. what's uh, happening back home. But you know, right. Dina, the one yeah. thing that made me feel better, you remember Don, right? Don Pasan. Yes. yes. So yes. I think last week he posted an article that uh, he wrote about Southern mm-hmm. Thailand. Um, yeah, this was on the United States Institute of Peace um, website. Right. Let me uh-huh. let me read you uh, what he said uh-huh. because it makes me feel you know kind of upbeat about what's happening. I don't know if it's true. Our guest later can tell us if it's true. But yeah. he did say that when he talks about how Thailand's uh, southernmost region is home to one of Asia's long-running armed conflicts. But he does say, despite decades of protracted armed conflict, there is recent cause for optimism. And Don says, a growing number of officials are talking about the need to move beyond conflict management to conflict transformation in order to focus on the root causes of the insurgency. And he's saying uh, government and rebel peace negotiators, as well as the Malaysian, as well as the Mm -hmm. Malaysian facilitators of the negotiations, are exploring ways to move beyond confidence-building measures and take up more concrete, substantive issues. What do you think about that, Dina? Oh, that sounds pretty promising, but uh, you know, I I'm not so well versed in the deep stuff. I read on, on you know in the newspapers and all, but to be honest, I mean, I've met Don. He'll tell me a little bit, but I believe the two speakers we have today will tell us a little bit more about 
what's really happening in the deep south? You know, I mean, is it as bad as we think it is, or are there more things that we need to know? So yeah, uh, I think you know one of them, right? I mean, Doctor yep. Amporn. Yep. You know, the um, Amporn uh, help to helps to demystify. Uh, Patani right. and, and Southern Thailand, which is still a mystery to me up to today. Yeah. Sorry, Amporn. But uh, <laughs> Dr. Amporn Mardent is an anthropologist and the head of the Center of Excellence on Women and Social Security at Walailak University in Southern Thailand. Maybe that's why she's very good at demystifying things. Where she also teaches cultural studies. She obtained yeah. her doctorate in anthropology, and I can't um, even pronounce this, Gezi Universitat Frankfurt. On, okay. And uh, she did, I guess, her PhD on gender piety of Muslim women in um, Thailand. Yeah. So Amporn is an activist and an academic in cross-disciplinary approaches, comparative religion study, gender, and peace. Uh, mediation. So, you know, the the one the the time that I first met Amporn, I think it was in Manila, and it was wow. interesting to listen to to Amporn uh, give her take on uh, on conflict in in Thailand and uh, in uh, the rest of Southeast Asia as well. And the Altaf, of course, I met uh, in passing through you. So over to uh -huh. you, Dina. Right, yes. So Alta Divieti is one of the co-founders of Iman Research. But, you know, she wasn't sort of in the scene at that time when we first met because she was abroad on an assignment and she could only join us in 2019. So she's now the MD of Iman and oversees everything, which is great. You remember Badro, right? Mm -hmm. So both of us are still part of Iman. But we being Alta's friends, we've handed everything over to her. Hence, this is why she's always stressed. Mm. But, you know, her CV is Stella. I'm proud to call her a friend as well. Um, she's always been very passionate and committed on issues pertaining to sustainable communities. She's had more than 15 years of experience in the field of social policy and development, especially in design, evaluating, initiating public social policy programs. So prior to Iman, she was a social policy specialist with UNICEF. She was a senior manager with Pemandu, which is like Malaysian's the Malaysian version of McKinsey, yeah? And she was also a project manager with UNDP. Mm -hmm. So uh, she's worked in Malaysia, she's worked in Indonesia, and she's also worked in Rwanda. No, really? Yeah. Rwanda. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. So we've got Altaf and Ampon, you know, they work on issues on the deep south, yeah? And I think let's get them to keep us up to speed on this issue. Right, Amina? Yep, Absolutely. So let's uh, call on Amporn and um, Amporn, demystify for me. What is the Deep South? And can you please tell us and your listeners what your work is all about and why the Deep South should be important to us? Good afternoon, Amina and uh, Dina, as well as Alta once again. Um, very great and uh, very nice to see all of you here. And uh, to me, I'm now teaching at uh, the university that uh, Amina Konwalailak, which is based in the South, and doing some research, academic service, and advocating priests to transcendent tra traditional male-dominated ideology in, in, mm. in the South, actually. 
So I I could not work uh, alone, or I need uh, some other networks and friends to to work together to. Uh, actually, we have numbers of people who spend time alive to work effectively uh, with the approach to lasting positive peace in in the society. I mean, in the south, and many of of them are ordinary people, like uh, ordinary women, men, and young people who work uh, at the front, and some of them work behind the scene to achieve uh, justice in Thailand. So why, uh, you asked why certain most provinces or the deep south of Thailand is important to all of us. So to me, it is the area where the series of conflict, I mean, violent conflict eventually escalating again in 2004. And uh, many scholars uh, regard the conflict um, entail from the manifestation of uh, the deep resentment that people in this region uh, toward the central government, especially with regards to the history Politic culture. These are the factors that uh, make the situation could be recognized by international peace builder, and uh, the international uh, peace builder recognize it as the civil war in Pataniyala, Naratiwat, and some mm-hmm. uh, four district in in Songkla, where uh, Malay Muslim are dominant population, but uh, the ethnic minority in the country. Uh, uh, I mean, the Malay Muslim are the, um, the ethnic minority of the country. There are uh, so many strategic plans, policy activities, and uh, so many agenda as well that uh, trying to implement in, in this South to solve the problem of conflict and uh, related, uh, such as we have um, National Security Council, and we also have peace dialogue already happened. But we still need strong commitment, trust, and mutual respect from uh, different sector. Uh, we also, I heard from many uh, people when we have pizza away with uh, the network of uh, people in the, in the south of Thailand, we found out uh, the locals need transparent process. So this is a, the, the transparency process should come from the actors, especially the parties of the government and the separatist one or the fighter. They say, they say to themselves or identify themselves as the fighter. So I think this is the crucial point that I would like to make why Southern Thailand is important. Or um, there are some other things that I should mention about uh, the, um, the situation, uh, the, the wild incident. Uh, we found out we have about uh, 7,000 people dead or uh, violent incident is more than 20,000. So mm-hmm. it's a huge number uh, in terms of the death uh, of people. So the conflict is uh, affect to young people, especially uh, women, not only young women, but also women in general to their quality of life and the sense of security in daily life. Mm-hmm. So women, they're seen as the distinct from security concern. I mean, the, the government or the separatist one. Uh, because the main conflict parties not recognize women's security into their perspective. So this is a kind of view uh, from, from, from the bottom, not the view from below. So we try to work... Uh, the women's security perspective from the uh, as the view from below, and uh, it's quite challenging for all of us as well to 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 work in this uh, in this from this perspective. But it is a must that we need uh, a lot of collabor- collaboration. 
So I think that's that's the important uh, aspect that I like to share in the beginning why Southern Thailand is important to to the world and to the region. Dr. Amphorn, I mean, that's a very concise uh, description, you know, of the Deep South. Um, but before we go on, and there's a lot of things that I'd like to ask here, let's go over to Altaf, you know. Um, Altaf, I know a bit because you led the project on this for Iman. I know you're dealing with youth mental health from the Deep South. And uh, yeah, so to begin with, can you just tell us the difference between Patani and Patani with the two T's? what the project is about and why the Tom Yum scenario is actually something we should look at. I mean, wait, wait, wait. Tom Yum as in the soup? Yes. Oh, I'll my goodness. This is interesting. <laughs> uh, hi, ladies. Thank you very much for having me. It's really great to chat with all of you again. But um, having joined Iman um, full-time, as Dina said, um, it's the, the story of the... Um, the, uh, the Deep South issue became more uh, intriguing, in particular because of the Tom Yum restaurant. This is where, when you ask uh, whether it's about the soup, yes, it is about the soup because since the late 1980s, predominantly more so in the past 10 years, Malaysia has seen a boom of Tom Yum restaurants. When I say a boom, mm -hmm. it means going every other corner, you will see a Tom Yum restaurant. Wow. And the Tom Yum restaurant, are basically run, managed by people from the Deep South. Mm -hmm. Maybe the owner is the only person that's Malaysian. Um, and they're all very young. Mm -hmm. So this is when we got into a really interesting thing. Why are there so many young uh, Southern Thai, uh, mostly Patani youth here and working at Tamiya restaurant? And then we started uh, going into the study. And that's when we came up with the whole title, Exodus of Southern Thai youth. And this is also when we started to stumble because each time I was interviewing or talking, you know, I can't say the words uh, Thailand or Southern Thai, they get a bit upset and mm -hmm. they always refer themselves as Supatani. Supatani <laughs> with, with one T, mm -hmm. um, referring to uh, ethnic identity that is tied to the Patani kingdom even before uh, independence. Whereas the double T Patani is more of your geographical this uh, province of that. So, okay. that, yeah, that, that's how we got into it and how we started exploring. And I think this is where it becomes really interesting is officially the Thai workforce in Malaysia, and I mean as the whole of the Thai workforce, doesn't, it's not more than 13,000 people officially. But if you, uh, based on our interviews and even some data that came out of the embassy in Malaysia, there's mm -hmm. probably more than 100,000 Southern Thai youth from the four uh, provinces, probably working as irregular migrants in mm -hmm. Malaysia. Yeah, so that's how that's how I got involved in it. Yeah, that's really quite interesting. And, uh, yeah. Then you know what, Dean? I remember uh, one of my first yeah. conversations with uh, Don, and I was yeah. asking him, "So, Don, what's really happening in uh, Southern Thailand?" And Don said, "Oh, you mean Northern Malaya?" <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, that really, yeah. that really uh, hit it home, you know, because yeah. like Alta was saying, um, the, the people in Patani and in Southern Thailand ethnically are Malayu, right? 
and yeah. uh, they became part of Thailand because they got, um, I guess, occupied and absorbed into the kingdom of uh, Siam. And it's really quite unfortunate that the integration process has not been not been really good because now uh, to be Thai, you must be a Buddhist and you have to speak the the Thai language. Yeah. So the challenges for Amporn and Altaf in helping push for dialogue and, uh, and a yeah. support for the peace process must be tremendous. So what are the challenges that... Um, that both of you are facing, especially with what you had mentioned, this the, the problem about uh, gender issues, for instance. Let's start with uh, with Amporn, because she's the anthropologist and she'll demystify this for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So the, there are so many uh, studies, and uh, in my study as well, we have uh, the focus on gender and security, as you uh, Kylie mentioned earlier uh, to Dawn's perspective when he said that this is the northern Malaya. So the perspective <laughs> is quite swing back and alert people to think uh, in the other way around, apart from thinking from the from the central government of the country. So this is quite a unique analysis when we want to bring the issue up to, to the level, uh, from the bottom to the upper level. So the studies in, in, in the area of PCVE, child protection, nonviolence, these are the study that we learn from how the securitization focus to the solution of the conflict. And that is usually offered the state and resistance movement. So I like to focus on the concept of security, which is a kind of big challenge when we come up uh, and listen to what the security agency would like to, to apply this concept uh, to work in the South. So security is often significantly linked to the militarization. And you can see from, uh, from the current situation when uh, the militarization of police work in Bangkok and uh, we have numbers of people were injured and violated by our own police. So this kind of concept practice in, in central Thai society, not only in the South. So to advocate for the expansion of security framework, uh, which includes security in the parameter of everyday life is quite um, uh, challenging as well. So it needs a huge rekindle or re reshape re-understanding the notion of security in the matter of gender and daily life. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Yeah. Um, uh, let me let me just uh, interject here because you're talking about security. So you as a, as a woman working in Southern Thailand, have you had problems working, for instance, on human security issues with the with the military? What are the challenges that you personally have faced in working as a woman in, in Southern Thailand? Working as women, not only from the perspective of I myself who are a bit away from conflict zone, mm-hmm. and I learn from friends who are living there. And uh, it's more now, it's more uh, bad. Uh, I mean, the interaction between women and the security agency are not that um, tense or the communication, the way that the security agency talk, communicate and work with women's group are quite friendly, if I can say that word, mm. friendly than with the male uh, leaders group. For example, when we discuss with the CSO who led by the male at the moment, mm-hmm. they feel like there are some kind of big gaps to have the places, for example, in, in, in some forums, the security agency would like to associate, to listen and to give their voices. Mm. Um, and the way that they want to be part, they come with uh, lots of uh, weapons, equipped. But when they come to women's forum, it sounds like women feel uncertain, but in that uncertain, it doesn't bring uh, the um, unfriendly situation into the scene. Mm-hmm. They want to just help women. They want to bring some food and some uh, help, uh, help, helpful project to the society. So it's more relaxed in terms of associate with women. And uh, the security agencies who are women also try to work cooperatively with women's group. And some of them are the Malay people as well who are the brother and sister of the people in the society. And uh, they said that this is a kind of job that they want to bring some uh, level of security and peaceful to the society. So this is, this is another scene that uh, people may not speak a lot in terms of uh, relationship between the, the local women with the security agencies. Could you just elaborate on that? the relationship between the local women and the security agencies? Actually, the, 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 the women who are people involved with the security agency, not only women from the Muslim community, I mean, from the Malay Muslim in the South, but there are also some group of people who come from other areas, from the region of uh, Northeast, from the North. Uh, this right. group of people may need sometimes to learn about uh, the society, the way that people speak, the dialect, the Malay dialect, the way that people like to communicate with the uh, with the uh, with the stranger. So they need sometimes to adopt. So a kind of um, a policy from the government and from security service asks uh, the corporation from the local to participate. They provide some quota from the locals uh, to, to, to bring some locals more into, into the loops of uh, security, being security agent. And in, in some checkpoint, probably uh, basically in the checkpoint, if we travel to the area, we found out there are so many checkpoints. 
But in the checkpoints, mm-hmm. there are men, young people from different other places. But in the special unit to work with the society kind of CSR programs, they bring uh, women along and they have the special unit that women work together with uh, uh, locals. As I said earlier, some of them uh, work uh, as the helping hands uh, to secure the life of women who are widows and uh, to secure the life of the family who were neglected by the society during the COVID-19. So this is a channel that uh, security agency, especially women's group, uh, I mean, the secu- uh, women security agent uh, try to co- have a co- good collaboration with the locals. There are some criticized from the local uh, as well that this kind of assimilation police is still on. So the security agency who are women who are in the top level, sometimes they also ask and call me and uh, they just ask what is gender mainstreaming in, in the society, in, in Muslim society. I said to promote gender mainstreaming and women inclusion in protection or yeah. in peace process is still a big part. Even though right now we know some friends, number of friends, not some, number mm-hmm. of friends, academic and advocate programs asked uh, to embrace gender into the project. This is not only from international donors, but also from the government there themselves. They would mm-hmm. like to bring the the notion or the concept of gender mainstreaming into uh, into their own work. It's a kind of fashion, but sometimes it's a kind of uh, scenario that people need to concern and bring this um, this no- notification or this kind of uh, advocating program into gender perspective. Yeah, that's so, going to be a little bit more difficult and porn with the fall of Afghanistan and the rise of uh, yeah. The Taliban, because the issue of uh, gender, uh, oh, that's going to, the debate about that is going to take a back seat with the rise of uh, influence of, of the Taliban. But I wanted to ask Altaf, because Altaf, you probably have a, you know, a more neutral perspective coming from, from Malaysia. Following the issues, the the traumatic issues that affect uh, women, uh, young men in these Tom Yang uh, restaurants that you you mentioned. Do you agree with uh, Don's perspective, for instance, that it may have been bad, but it's getting better? And uh, how do you see uh, the idea of dialogue in uh, a peace process uh, proceeding in in Southern Thailand or Upper Malaya, whichever. Right, right. Um, actually, well, I don't think he's too... I think, I think his message is hopeful, and that is good, because we do need to be... to have some hopeful messages out. But um, I still think there is not much, particularly because of COVID, there hasn't mm. been much movement within mm-hmm. the peace process in particular. So... You can say probably we are at um, status quo, or, or, or so. Uh, and of course, the 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 BRN has actually self-declared that they will be a ceasefire for, for because of COVID. But when you look at um, oh, well, sorry, from, sorry, Alta, what's the BRN? Sorry, um, 
short for Barisan Revolution Nasional, they're basically the strongest insurgents group because there's a number of insurgents groups in, uh, in the South, but they're the most prominent and probably the most critical if they're uh, to get uh, buy-in if we if the peace process is uh, to move forward, which is why a number of the times the, type, the peace process was stalled because BRN was not involved until last year they finally came. And one interesting thing is the BRN is predominantly uh, built by young, by youth. Oh. Um, so, okay, so you, you, I guess at this point, this, I don't think you can really say whether things are moving forward or not because of COVID. And also probably because of what's happening up in, 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 central, in, in Bangkok itself. But if you're looking at how it has been, I mean, from, from the perspective of uh, how um, has it moved with, from, from the ground, one of the things that I find quite depressing is uh, that there's a lot of civil society. I think the, the, the huge growth of civil society in the South really grew post-2004, and there's a lot. And I think, I mean, one example, of course, is Dr. Ampon and her team and her, her group and what they're doing. But, and there's a lot of uh, doing good work on uh, peace building. But it still hasn't gotten into uh, the attention of uh, of the, the central government, and and it, and it hasn't been and their 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 voices hasn't really been brought into the mm-hmm. peace dialogue as yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, is is a critical part. I think there needs to be more push of the civil society. I mean, you've seen the growth, but you need to start seeing how they can influence. But I mean, but then you're also seeing that there is still some divide within civil society itself because um, as far as I understand, some Patani civil society are also ideologically aligned with um, the insurgent groups. Mm. So I've been trying to come to an agreement, for example, you know, whatever your ideological leaning may be, but maybe just to sit down and talk about peace and nonviolence. I mean, that would be fantastic. And I think there are, there is definitely movement towards that uh, as it is. But my, also another interesting part is that, which I say might be, a, uh, which can be utilized is that the movement of youth to Malaysia has been cut, cut down significantly because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And a lot that are in Malaysia had to move back because they come based, they most come using the monthly tourist visa. So they have to go and renew, right? So with the cut in movement out, I mean, you're having more people in South, more youth in Southern Thailand, uh, in those four provinces that may not even have jobs now. I mean, I think this is critical. You've got youth who are upset, who are angry, who are who are not getting jobs. Uh, they can't come to Malaysia and continue with what they were doing before, and there's not necessarily jobs in the South at this point. And this is a situation where it's either you leverage it for something positive, or you can let it fester into something. So I think this is where a situation where it can go bad or good, in a sense, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Wow. Youth unemployment, Lena, that's uh, that's really going to be so problematic because the recruits to uh, insurgency groups or terrorist groups or violent extremist groups, that's really coming from that that sector. And I think this is where also I think the central government has a lot to play. I mean, if either you can actually try and use this time and push for peace, uh, a reconciliation or like like what I mean I think allow something faster and um, a high number of young youth unemployed and frustrated upset you know, will will lead to other things I hope not but yes it can though and just to also note that a lot of those I mean, we also started to see a high number of young uh, women coming to Malaysia post 2004 
and this is and this was something that was not that expected. I mean, there's always been those coming to Malaysia, but of course, the peak. I mean, the the surge of numbers only came in post 2004, and we're assuming it's, it's attached to the Pakbai um, uh, and the Crusade send-off during those years in, in that year itself. But um, it's interesting to see because Southern Thai, as far as I, we understand, in particular those four provinces, are very conservative. So to allow unmarried young girls to come mm. to Malaysia to work, and yeah, mind yeah. you, it's not it's, when they come to work to Malaysia, they don't integrate that well. It's mm-hmm. an assumption that they integrate. They don't. They speak Klantan, Klantan mm-hmm. is dialect, but mm-hmm. most of Malaysians don't understand. Only oh. the Klantans understand. Oh. One, so they don't have uh, an education, a uh, high-level education. That mm-hmm. means they only work as uh, in the service industry, in Tom Yam restaurants, with no legal protection, so to say. Mm. So no access wow. to yeah, security, yeah. insurance, health, or whatever. None. So it's actually not the most safest or most mm-hmm. uh, com- comfortable situation to be in. So they rely heavily on the community of of, of uh, those uh, Patani community in Malaysia. And these Tomia I mean, restaurants go as far as Johor. You can find a lot of them even mm-hmm. in Johor, just bordering Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. The only place you don't really find them is in Sabah and Sarawak. And you can understand why, because that's like you have to and take three hour flight. Yeah. Yeah? You'll probably, so, probably find, they'll probably find their way there. Uh, sooner or later, but, but but Ampord, how about you? Are you yeah. optimistic? Do you share the optimism of Don, or you have your own concerns about the prospect of a peaceful uh, peace a peace process settling the differences between Patani and uh, the Thai government? Yes, I do agree in many parts of Don's analysis, and he quite brings some thought into the society, and people would uh, basically agree upon his idea. And uh, to the perspective of people would like to transform from conflict into peace process, it is true. But at the same time, they, we still need, as I said earlier, the, the transparency process, the good intention and the clear understanding how uh, the government would like to bring us through. And um, from the peace survey, we have a peace survey for this year. It is going to be delivered next month. We have annual peace survey. And for this time, uh, we found out uh, people would like to see peace. But at the same time, people would like to still request uh, that uh, the party from the government, uh, the party A and party B, or the government and the separatists should uh, select the right person to go to the table. So to the dialogue table should be open as well. It means that it's more publicized, not only to the closed room, and people don't know what's going on. And uh, the other thing is that uh, apart from... Uh, conflict resolution from the top level. Uh, the government also need to uh, support the peace process from the bottom, from 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 mm-hmm. the below. Uh, there are so many young generation works uh, from the art perspective. Uh, women's group uh, work a lot on uh, gender mainstreaming. As I said earlier, they would like to cooperate the idea of stop violence against women to eradicate. Um, 
domestic violence along with the peace process. So there are so many agendas yeah. that people Important. need to see. This is going to be very interesting because it is a part of your experience. But how do you and the other women uh, advocates, how do you talk about gender and gender equality in Southern Thailand where you have very, very strong traditional fundamentalist yeah. religious leaders. How do you do it, Amporn? Well, this kind of challenging to promote uh, women inclusion in, in the protection of uh, mainstreaming gender in peace process. It's still a big part. And um, to, to me, people in the society also need to, need to understand the distinction between gender roles and differences of power relation and how it is meaningful for all of us to understand that women and men experience conflict differently. So we have the programs, uh, not only my center, but also many groups of women have the program uh, from the experience of people who are affected by violence, conflict violence uh, directly and indirectly, sharing the story, moving around, talking about, moving around the, the, the area of uh, the project and talking about the uh, possibility that uh, women could get out from home without asking, without uh, questioning, not asking, questioning from the society. For example, there are so many people said that women could not go out unless they get permission from the husbands, mm. even, they, even though they want to work for the community. And we bring this issue back to dialogue with the religious leaders. In the beginning, they feel like it is, it is common that people understand in the same line mm -hmm. that uh, women are part of the society. We need to protect them. And women need to ask permission, for example, to go outside from the house, even if it's good uh, for going out. But if we see the real life situation right now, women works a lot. Yeah. And uh, women already achieved to the level of bringing some, some money, uh, become the breadwinner of, this, of their own family. And mm -hmm. some of them work very hard during COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. They are the health volunteer. Why the male stuck in the house because of suspicious, because of unable to move around. Mm -hmm. When volunteer themselves to work, definitely they have, they gain some kind of uh, budget from the, from the government, but a small uh, amount of budget to, to reward themselves during this kind of uh, situation. So I think this kind of program needs to be highlighted more and more and see that uh, the, um, the capacity of women is there and the shapes or the layers of interpretations are open a lot for women to have free, have the, have the rights to education, rights to rights to mobile or rights to do this and that according to Islam. And this, this is not against uh, or contrast to human rights based understanding. So yeah, but, sometimes yeah. we, need to, we need to use the term that people get used to. Yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Yeah. But that that's going to be getting right. tough. That conversation is going to get tougher and tougher because of the you know, the rise of um, of the Taliban, for instance. Alta, yeah. did you have any special strategy when you when you interact with civil society in in southern Thailand? It's because you're a woman, and how do you push your ideas about gender equality or equity, as they would say? Um, actually, when we started working, we actually entered through a very safe area called through mental health, actually, mm. um, because that was how. Initially, it was even before Iman started, like I said, I went in and I came with two um, clinical psychologists and we continue to do that until today, actually. We work with a specific organization in Southern Thailand. I'm not sure sure I should say the name or not for security reasons because it's predominantly, it it started off predominantly for young boys who were detained by the military and tortured. So that, it started from there, but as of the most recent, we have been giving um, mental health assistance to, but it's more of towards training because of the COVID situation, to women, uh, particularly women activists and to teachers from the Patani community in particular. So I think for for, for me, I think one, because I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider, I mean, I'm from Malaysia, mm-hmm. yeah? so we are very careful and our entry has to be something that's not seen to be so contentious, that's uh-huh. one area, right? Uh, and um, mental health was something that was reached out. Um, and it was really interesting. I just have to share with you. The first time we went down in 2013, I was told there was only going to be 20 people. Mm-hmm. Were, and it was just going to be a workshop. Mm-hmm. When we came, nearly 100 people were there. I think the resort was freaking out. And wow. I panicked. Because the stories, I mean, the, the rumor was going in around is in Malay, it says, Apakajiwa. So, um, literally translated, specialist of the soul. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was, it was from Malay, from the Malay witness, <laughs> so has come. Because they really wanted to know whether what they were going through was something that was uh, uh, supernatural uh, mm-hmm. or was it a mental health issue. So they're not, are they going crazy or they weren't? Uh-huh. So ever since that, that's how, uh, and it was both men and women coming. So that's one of the things that we came, uh, we go through and we try to give assistance from. And even now, the research that we're doing is trying to give, only because of COVID, we had to do our things online, was to give training on mental health. But then, of course, it, go, it goes to a gender aspect because both men and women experience the situation very differently. The types of issues of the men are facing, and like Ampon was just saying, some of them can't even go out of the house, can't even work, either they've been too traumatized and so forth. And then the women suddenly having to be a breadwinner and having, and, but that's still secondhand violence. Secondary violence is a critical situation and no one's talking about the children yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's haven't been some demand. Can we do training for children? We actually had to say, hold on for that because that's, that one cannot be done online. We we'd have to uh, we have to wait for. So yeah, that's that's one. And I think being Malaysian, I think Malaysia owes it. We are we are stakeholders as well. Mm-hmm. Kelantan, Kedah, Perlis are all borders. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the villages on the border actually have family on both sides. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I've interviewed people who have secretly dual citizenship. Yeah. Oh. So, and there's uh, a, and. In the jungles of Kelantan and Kedah, there are a lot of, of the fighters as well, or their families who ran away. Um, like it or not, I think uh, Malaysian CSOs should be supporting 
for peace building, not encouraging whatever, but supporting for some form of peace building because at the end of it, the spillover is clear. I mean, that's one of the things that we wanted to push. Having more than 100,000 Southern Thai youth in Malaysia working as irregular workers is a spillover effect. And nobody's calculating the economic and social cost of it. We, when we went interviewing uh, both uh, male and female uh, workers in Malaysia early, late last year, early this year, um, we also did a card analysis to look at whether there was any kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. Nearly everybody is experiencing trauma. So I think it's something, I mean, for, for coming from Malaysia, and in particular, I'm actually an East Coast person. I'm just like Dina. I come from Trengganu. I have family in Kelantan. We, yeah. I think the fact that so many are here, I think we should take responsibility. A lot of CSOs here are also starting, because of COVID, realized, well, during the first lockdown, so many were stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and they, were, they needed help. There was um, no access. And quite a number refused to get assistance from the Thai embassy. So a number of the CSOs here had to intervene to help. So I think that's where, uh, at least from a CSO perspective, I think Malaysian CSOs do owe it. On another Mm -hmm. hand, we're supposedly the facilitator. But until today, nobody knows what that role means. Officially, (laughs) it's not there. It's just for facilitator. Whatever yeah. that is, it's like, you know, go with the flow. And I, I interviewed the previous facilitator <laughs> and he said, yeah, just go with the flow. Because <laughs> it, it, is this an ASEAN thing? Is this not, not wanting? Yeah. I think it goes mm-hmm. back to what Ampon said. There's no mm-hmm. transparency. Even in the Malaysian side, there's no transparency. Uh, they, should, <laughs> they should abuse the Malaysian facilitator who helped us with the peace process uh, with the Moro Islamic Liberation yeah. Front. What do you think, <laughs> Dina? I agree. Amina, before I forget, you really need to introduce Ampon and Alta to your two ambassador friends. Remember Her Excellencies? The one who worked for ASEAN. Oh, you mean yes. Ambassador Tobing? Yes. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I think Ampon knows Ambassador Tobing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. yeah we, we really should have a little networking going on. Yeah. Um, for for Southern Thailand. Yeah. Uh, can I just say something? You know, uh, one of the ways to ensure what Don Patan says, that means hoping for that, that things will move. There is There needs to be some form of external pressure. Um, mm. And I think uh, make regional CSOs can play a role here. I mean, quite a number have already been going in and out working together. I know Aman Indonesia was also going in and I think they worked with your organization as well, Ampon. So I think there is a role to end. It's a long, it's like, it is, you're right, it is the longest conflict in the region, yet barely anyone knows about it. And maybe that's why it continues to be. Yeah, that's, that's true. We have to uh, shed, shed more light, Dina, on, yeah. on what's going yeah. on in Southern Thailand. I think for me personally, we always hear about Indonesia. We always hear about the Philippines. And that's not wrong because we have a lot of issues that, w- that have not been, you know, resolved. But the Deep South, as you said, Amina, early on, is a little bit of a mystery. Yep. And there's a lot to talk about. But guess what? We've just got a reminder. <laughs> it's almost one hour. <laughs> oh, wow. It's not enough time. We have to oh have a God, part yeah. two. We have to have a yeah. part two, Amporn. Yes. Yes, we need to have a part two. But Gosh, maybe we yeah. should ask Amporn and Alta for some uh, inspiring yeah. words to our listeners about uh, the Southern Thailand situation 
What are what's your word of wisdom, Ambon? I'm not sure whether it is kind of word of wisdom or to criticize my own government because uh, right now we are in the critical of risk management. Oh. Um, uh, let's see from the COVID, for example, in, in case of COVID-19, our, my own government felt uh, in many process, uh, starting from uh, getting the SL involving in the assistance of uh, international uh, COVID uh, initiative. So we do not have that kind of opportunity to get a good vaccine for all of us. And it comes, uh, the, the vaccination process and this kind of procedure come very late. In addition to address the support, we know that the private sector works a lot and helps a lot of people in, in, in our society. And to entering the country, the citizen and government also need to change some mindset like uh, the state structural factors, or they need to concern about how to develop a human development, as Ataf mentioned about the uh, numbers of people who try to find a job in, in many areas of Malaysia. So economic diversification is needed to improve in, in the South. And uh, we also need some rights, uh, just people who work very hard and uh, understand the context of people in the society to work collaboratively with the, with the locals because the locals work already very hard but we need uh, the, the from both sides from not only the government but also people who say them say to to the community that they themselves are separatists so we we want to to talk and work with with them as well and they say that we already there i mean the separatists or the the the, the fighters we there they are mingled with the community so how how we could bring them uh, that they have the proposal and how to make a cut kind of proposal from the separatists to meet with their needs but at the same time it's also much more uh, be listened and com more compromised uh, by listening to the uh, people who are victims in the society, especially from the uh, for the people in 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 the area who don't want to. They say that one of the notion that is uh, is stuck me when I uh, interview many people. They said that peace dialogue or a peace process is not our our business, because it's always the business of the elite. And they don't want the, the peace in this society because they gain a lot of money. To us, Ooh, we want wow. justice only. We want, uh, we want work. We want the happy mm. family and the society. That's it. So I think mm. that's the statement that I can convey from the community to, to, to us. Wow, that's... Wow, that's heavy. How about you, Altaf? Any yeah, you Altaf. words of uh, inspiration <laughs> for our listeners? Well, you know, the fact that a proper, I mean, that a, uh, attempt to a proper peace process has started, particularly since last year, and the right stakeholders are there. We need more stakeholders, in particular representation from CSOs and gender representation, because as far as I understand, it's all men, uh, is actually critically needed. Nevertheless, it started. And to let it stop here and to let what's happening in Bangkok and COVID to take over would be a shame because to restart again is going to be really tough. And 
as history has shown, the waves of violence, is, uh, it continues, but it takes different types and different waves. But what is what you can see is that each time it restarts, the violence gets more complex. Mm. And it will be a tragedy if we need that to re-happen again yeah. in, another, in another generation. I mean, I'm a believer where if the children, I mean, a war goes beyond five years old, that means you have a child growing up not knowing what is peace. And that is dangerous. And so I think with this peace process, I think it's a fantastic start. But somehow the momentum has to stay. And a lot of the onus, unfortunately, is on the government. But I think other players can play a role too. And I think CSOs can definitely play a role. Um, look, that, without a doubt, local CSOs are critical. Bangkok CSOs are also critical. But I think regional CSOs also can help, can, can support ensuring that these, these issues are brought to light and that there is some pressure because I believe that it's not sustainable if the violence continues. It's just not sustainable and it will evolve into something different for the next generation. So, yeah, so I'm optimistic in that sense. Let me start it, then now let's push it to make sure something comes out of it that's possible. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you do need to apply some kind of pressure and civil society is, I guess, the, uh, the best sector to do that because certainly governments are hesitant of interfering in, in each other's processes because that's the ASEAN way, right? We, we yeah. work by consensus, slow, exactly. slow, but sure. <laughs> However, if there are civil society regional organizations such as uh, Amporn and Dinas, oh, and mine as well, <laughs> the Southeast Asia <laughs> Women Peace Builders Network, if you can yeah. just get this group to be yeah. a little bit stronger yeah. in voicing out how this is so important to women and family and how women involved in the peace process makes certain the sustainability of the peace process. If we can only convince the short-sighted men, oops, sorry, showing my bias. If we can only convince them about the yeah. practicability of having women uh, helping in the peace process, then you know the 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 future in in areas of conflict, so like the Deep South, Myanmar, would be a little more certain, don't you think, Dina? I think there's just so much potential here, you know. I mean, we'll be talking to the UN women on Friday. We can talk about this. I think there's so much. I think with Amina's contacts, the two ambassadors, Tobin, uh, and there's the other one, I think, um, Dahlia? Yes, Ambassador Albert. Albert. Yes. So I think they'll be very, very keen because even though they're retired, you know, they're still pushing for the peace processes, the women's yeah. agenda and all. So definitely we'll take it up to them. I hate to break the party, but you know what? It didn't feel like one hour. I thought <laughs> Definitely <this> not. <laughs> but yes, thank you so much. Yeah. This has been a, a, a really deep South conversation. Yes. And I'm, I'm so thankful that we have Altaf and Amporn um, with us. You know what? The When you're talking about outside pressures, for instance, the... Indonesians and the Malaysians helped us in southern Philippines with the two peace processes. The first was with the Moro National Liberation Front, and there Indonesia was the facilitator. The second 
was with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front and the facilitator was Malaysia. And do you know what? Over the last uh, 10 years, representatives of the Moro National Liberation Front and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front have been talking to people in um, Patani, in Southern Thailand, to talk about their experiences in negotiating with, uh, with government on autonomy. So, you know, our regional um, collaboration is ongoing. But you know what, Dina? There were no women in that delegation. No wonder it's taking so much longer. If they had more women in that delegation from the Philippines, maybe it would be better. But thank you so much, Amporn and Alta, for joining us today on She Talks Peace. Over to you, Dina. Thank you so much, Alta, Dr. Ampon. I mean, I think what you've talked about today is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more that we need to actually unpack, educate our listeners and ourselves. These are very new. Despite what Alta and Dr. Ampon has, have spoken to me, every time we talk, there's always something new to learn. So thank you again for spending one hour with us. So this Amina? is uh, Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, thanking Altaf and Amporn and our dear listeners for joining us on She Talks Peace. Dina? All right. Here's another week to, again, we've got another week to She Talks Peace. We've had like a couple of podcasts already, maybe up to 10 already. And we look forward to putting this up in the next few weeks, one week or two. Yeah. Thank you again, dear listeners, for wherever you are. Bye. Keep safe, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.